Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's lesson is Imagination, Creation, Destination. I'm going to take you on a journey. Basically, at creation, God creates man. Man disagrees with what God said and agrees with what the serpent says, and so they fall away from grace. They start listening to the enemy. Things start falling apart. The world goes into rebellion. Things get worse and worse because when we listen to the devil, that's what happens. Uh, eventually things get so bad that there's so much wickedness and so much suffering to the innocent that God has to wipe it all out with a flood and start over because it becomes unjust to let it continue because everything is just so wicked. So after the flood, Noah and his three sons begin to repopulate the earth. God's commission at the, the flood was to go out, same commission he gave in the beginning, uh, to go out and repopulate the earth, to spread out and to go uh, tell people about him and live good lives and be righteous people and do what's right. Nimrod decides he's not going to listen to God. Nimrod decides he wants to control things. He wants to be like God. So he wants to build a city. They don't want to go out into the world and spread and populate and do what God said. He wants everybody to stay where he's at and follow him. So I'm not listening to God. So what if he sends a flood again? What if there's another judgment? What if something happens? Oh, I know we'll build a tower so tall that the floods can't touch us. They tried to out-engineer God's judgments. That's where the story of the Tower of Babel comes from. So when it says that they built a tower to the heavens so that they could be like God or in the place of God, no, it's just like when the Bible says the Antichrist will put himself in the place of God wanting to be worshipped as God. That's what Nimrod did. They built this tower, this migdal, which literally means elevated pulpit. Um, if you can think of it kind of like, uh, like the pyramids. Like you see in South America, these big pyramids, and there's a flat surface at the top, and the, the king guru, whatever, stands at the top and wants to be worshipped and does their sacrifices and all. It would have been something kind of like that. So when we say tower, we think of like a, but it was really more it was a step, pyramid. step pyramid kind of thing. So all of the people are coming together. When you go back and you look at the history, uh, this was kind of like after the flood, your first civilization, your first city, all of the peoples are together. They're working together to build this tower, this pyramid, this thing that they can get up above the flood so they can do what they want rather than what God said to do. They are moving back into sin, into rebellion, into wickedness. Nimrod is making the people dependent on him. Uh, he's going to provide uh, economy. He's going to provide security. He's going to provide all that you need, he's going to be in the place of God for you. God looks down at what's happening, and he's talking to someone, maybe Jesus, maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe an angel, in this text, in verse 6, and he says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So God looks at them and he says, all of the people are in unity. 
and this is what they choose to do with it? Defy me? They're all one language, they can work together. Therefore, anything they can imagine, they can do. It's funny because the Lord had given me this message last week, but I didn't have a voice, so I saved it for this week. And a day or two ago, Malachi sent a picture in our little family group group text thing of the little girl Penny from Inspector Gadget talking into her phone. And it said, uh, Apple Watch before it was cool. (laughs) And I was like, anything they can imagine, they will do. You imagined it 50 years ago, now you do it. But it's true. Now, later we're going to get into the difference between the vision of God, of the Holy Spirit, and vain imaginations. Because they imagined something that they wanted to do, but it was their own vain imaginations. God let them do it to the point where they thought that this was actually going to work. They put all this work into it, and then it literally fell down on them. We can come together with all of the unity we want and have all of the vision we want. If it's a vain imagination, it's not going to last. It will come to fruition, but will it be prosperous or will it bring destruction? However, when you seek the Lord, He will give you a vision. He will give you a destination. He will give you a promise. And if you keep that vision and have faith for it, He will get you to it even if he's got to bring you through miracles to do it. So, tonight's message is imagination, creation, then destination. Be careful what you allow your mind to dwell on, what you allow it to envision, because what you set before it or cause it to see or hear will get in through your eye and ear gates, and it will affect your vision. What do you meditate on? What do you think on during the day? What do you see? When you sit there and you think, like if I'm at home and I'm thinking, how am I going to uh, order my garden? In my mind, I'm seeing what I imagine will be there. And then it will be there. In fact, when we first cleared the land, when we first got to the house, I envisioned what I wanted in the garden. And now it is there exactly as I envisioned. What I imagined now is. Now, for years before, the Lord had given me a word of revival. I had an image. I had a a vision for it. I prayed for it. I waited for it. I believed it. I had faith. I kept the vision, and he used us in it. We had big revival in Baton Rouge that is still carrying out throughout the country. God did it, and there's more to come. But you have to guard your heart and guard the vision in it because the enemy will send all manner of distraction and counterfeit vision to fill that up. Keep seeing the promise. Keep believing for it, and it will happen. It will come. Because if you grab hold of a bad seed, a false vision, a false promise, it will steer you away from what God has for you. What you imagine will come to fruition, for good or for bad. Now, having said that, be careful what you put in your spirit There is a reason it was named tell-a-vision. Tell-a-vision. They are telling you a vision. They're giving you their vision and implanting that imagination within you so that they can manifest what they want. That's why it's called television programming. They are programming you. Now, in our day and age, that applies also to the computer 
YouTube, all that stuff that you fill your spirit with. Music, anything that gets into your spirit will affect the vision that is within you and it will affect what manifests through you. Video games. Video games are very cunning way that the enemy does this because it's it so draws you in. You're participating in it. So it's not just something you're seeing. It's something you're doing. All of it, it just sucks you in and it's, it's what is before you continuously. So these things are very, very important. I would say, you know, when you sit and you pray and you meditate on the Lord, take time to intentionally seek Him for His vision for your life, His promises, His will. And then when you pray every day, go back to that and remember it. See it. Pray about that thing. Keep that vision alive in your heart. It's important because if you're spending more time watching television or YouTube or other things than meditating on what God has for you, then you're envisioning somebody else's vision. And you will bring their vision to fruition rather than God's for your life. It will steer you whether you think it will or not. It will. It will affect you. What goes in will come out. So seek the Lord. Listen. See the vision. Believe and be. Keep doing this and it will come to fruition eventually. What your heart sees internally is important. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what your heart sees, what your heart believes is so important, it actually affects you eternally. What you believe will come out of your mouth, your profession But if you meditate on it enough, it will cause you to be. It will change who you are. If you truly sit and believe and pray, the Lord can set me free, the Lord will change me. And you truly believe that and you stay in that prayer closet and you see that change, it will manifest in your life. The Lord is going to give us our kids back. It's going to happen and I'm going to pray and believe and keep seeing the day that that manifests and it's going to happen. But if you completely push it out of your heart and just say, okay, the Lord will take care of it and walk away, I can't guarantee that those things will happen because you'll get so distracted chasing other visions. It's important to grab hold of the promises that God has given you and continue to pursue them. There were many stories through Scripture where God gave promises and told them that these wonderful things were going to happen and it took a long time for it to manifest. And the Bible says that because they kept believing... Because they didn't waver in faith, God brought it to fruition. It's so easy to waver when you forget about the promise. And it's crazy because we were coming in, there's a big rainbow pointing right at the church, and we're like, ah, promise. He gave the rainbow to remind us of his promises. So I think if anything tonight, the message really is remember the promises. Remember to see it. Remember to envision it. Remember to think on it. Remember to meditate on it. Don't just say, okay, yeah, he'll do and put it inside. See yourself in it. Pray about it. Praise for it. Contend for it. Praise him that it's coming in the waiting. Keep seeing and you'll get there.
It'll strengthen you through what seems like delays. Guard your heart, the Bible says, for out of it come all of the issues of life. Be careful what you think. Be careful what you see because the enemy will get in your ear and start telling you all kinds of things and you'll start imagining it. Shut it down. Be careful what you see internally. Guard what you see. Guard how you see God. The enemy will get in your ear and start telling you all kinds of stuff about God. Guard how you see God internally. When the enemy comes and starts telling you, oh, he's cruel, oh, he doesn't love shut it down. Guard how you see God internally. Make sure it lines up with scripture. Guard how you see others. This kind of plays into our prayer request. It's very important to guard how you see others. When the enemy gets in your ear and starts telling you, oh, they just don't like you because of your race. Oh, they just don't like you because of your gender. Oh, they just don't like you because of you're a Christian, oh, this person's against you, all that, shut it down. That's the devil. Shut it down immediately. Guard how you see others. Always come back to, you know what? Somebody hurt them. Somebody messed them over. They need Jesus. They need to be saved. Lord, I'm going to pray for them because the enemy's trying to gain access. He's trying to get in. In the beginning, there was Adam and Eve and they had two sons. They had Cain and they had Abel. Cain and Abel both offered a sacrifice to God. Abel did what God told him to do because it says his sacrifice was righteous, which means he did what God said was right. Cain did what he thought was right, and it wasn't sufficient. So Cain got jealous of Abel, and God talks to him. He says, now wait a minute, Cain. If you do what's right, then you'll be approved. Is this not so? Be careful. The enemy is at the door. In other words, the devil's speaking something into your ear trying to cause offense against your brother, and if you agree with it, the devil's going to get in and take over you. Well, he listened to the devil. It got in. He got angry. He ended up killing his brother in a fight. And then the devil got into that bloodline, and that's part of what spread out through all the world and caused it to become so wicked that the flood had to come. There were issues that arose out of that one thing. And God warned him from the beginning, the devil's trying to get in. He's knocking. He's at the door. Don't listen. Guard how you see others because the enemy will tell you all kinds of things. Might be true, might not be true, but doesn't really matter. Guard your heart so the enemy can't get into you. We have to fight for everyone. We were all wretched and undone. We've all done wicked things. We've all been wrong. We've all done stupid. Somebody prayed for us. Somebody forgave us. Somebody was willing to show uncommon love. We have to be willing to do it too. So guard how you see God. Guard how you see others. Guard what you meditate on. During the day when you have some quiet time and you sit there, what are you thinking about? Where does your mind go? Be intentional about what you think on. Choose things that will be beneficial to the kingdom, to you, to your family. Check it constantly against the word, all of these things. How you see God, how you see others, and what you're thinking on. Check it against the word. Because in the end, our opinion amounts to nothing. We will all be judged by what's written in the Bible. Jesus said that it's not me that's going to even judge you on the final day. It's going to be the words that are in this scripture. The book will be opened and we will see if you lived by what is written. And our opinion will amount to nothing. Does our life line up with what is in the Bible? And if it does, we get into heaven. Because there was already a rebellion in heaven by self-willed, prideful beings, the angels who messed everything up. 
God's not about to let more back in to do the same thing again. This is our testing ground to see if he can trust us with the things of his kingdom. Because it says that those that do get in, they will rule and reign with Jesus. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big job. This is a serious job interview that we're going through right now to see where he's going to position us and what he's going to trust us with for eternity. The Bible says it has not even entered into the hearts of man to um, understand the things he has in store for those who serve and love the Lord. There's so much beyond even this existence if you have the faith to believe. So start to see it and you'll start living to be it and preparing for it now. And it will shape who you are and it will shape where you end up. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. A man is as he thinks in his heart. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament that if you just look at a person in lust, even if you don't speak it or act it out, if it's something you're performing in your heart, then you're just as guilty. Because if it's in your heart, then you are. Or he said that if you hate your brother, you're already a murderer. If you hate him without a cause and, and you have those same emotions that would cause a person to commit murder, you've already committed murder because as you are in your heart, so it is. Remember, we are created in the likeness of God and he spoke things into existence. We don't know how he will use us in the world to come, but we do know that he is making sure that we are going to be so guarded in our thoughts and actions that we're not willing to sin even in thought because thought manifests actions. It brings it to fruition eventually. That's why you go and you look at murderers, you can trace it back to a heart issue, to a thought action. You go look at rapists or child molesters, you can trace it back to pornography. It started somewhere in the heart and it moved forward into action. So deal with it at the seed root level. It's easier to deal with a seed when it's first starting to come out the ground than when it's a five foot tree already taking root. Pluck it out when it's just in the thought <coughs> process. Fight for the territory of your mind. It's your first battlefield. It's your territory. If you don't take that ground from the enemy, then you will never go out and take any other. If you do go out and take ground, you will end up working for the enemy who still works internally in you because you never took authority over your own camp before you tried to go out and expand the territory. The first battleground you have to deal with is you. What's inside of you. It's the easiest thing to take dominion and take authority over. The first thing you have to do is take authority over the enemy that's trying to influence you. If you can't take control of your own thoughts, you don't need to be telling others how to handle theirs. You can't go out and take territory and start churches and do all these other things. If the enemy still has ground in your own camp, then you're actually just spreading him around. It's very important to stop and take authority over your mind, your thoughts. 
And you do it the same way you take authority over anything. Devil, I don't agree with you. Get out in the name of Jesus. You have no right. You have no place. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. The Lord didn't plant that thought. That doesn't line up with the word of God. Shut it down. Kick it out. Speak to the mountain. I've had times where I, I battled in my mind with the devil's telling me this and he's discouraging me with this and he's attacking me with this. And I'm like, no, that's not right. That's not God's nature. That's not, he's not doing that. That's not how this is. And on the inside, and you're battling this battle, and finally God's like, stop. I said, speak to the mountain. Speak. Open your mouth. Tell it to go. So I open my mouth, and I'm like, devil, you're a liar. That doesn't line up with the word. That's not God's nature. You got to go. You're not bothering me anymore. Leave now in Jesus' name. And that's it. The battle's over. It stops. You let the devil kick you while you're down and have these battles back and forth with him in your mind. And you end up arguing with the devil who is the wisest creature ever created. We can't outsmart him. He's pretty, pretty cunning. Don't conversate with the devil. Take it captive. Deal with it. Speak to the mountain. I'm talking about speak out loud. Get ye behind me, Satan. You gotta go. Ends right there. Shuts it down. Be done in the name of Jesus. It's a simple fight to win, but it's the first battle you have to do. Once you have control of your own thoughts and mind and you've kicked the devil out of you, then you can kick him out of your house. Then you can start praying him out of your family. Then you can start praying him out of your church family who he's attacking. Then you can pray him out of your schools and your community and your church. Then you can pray him out of your nation and your country. You can expand the territory, but you got to make sure your camp is, is clean first. Start there. Take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which is physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, that's wicked imaginations, thoughts from the enemy, and every high thing that dares to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, anything that dares to contradict the word of God, cast it down immediately and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. So basically it's saying, take authority over these things. You come into alignment, agreement, and subjection to the will and word of God. And then once you do that, you will have authority to cast these things down and out in others. This is one of the major reasons that some people move in deliverance ministry. Scripturally, any person who is truly saved and in right standing should be able to move in deliverance. The reason some do and some don't is because they've not come into subjection themselves. It says, take every thought captive yourself. Take a control of your own territory and authority, and then you will have the ability to do it for others also. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't be like the world. Don't be like everyone around you. Don't be like the culture. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So don't think yourself to be something special. Seek the perfect will of God. Be submitted to him. Walk in obedience and you will be able to do great and marvelous and miraculous things because it's really God doing it through you. But he can't endorse the enemy. The Bible says to be friends with the world actually makes you the enemy of God. To love the things of the world, to want to be like the world, to not want to be set apart because the truth is, is that if we choose to truly follow after Christ, we're going to be different. That's kind of the point. He was different. He was despised and rejected and hated by most. But if we're willing to be subject unto him, then he will not only fill us and use us, but he will move through us and endorse us because he's really endorsing himself because we're walking in his message, in his teachings. And the truth is that really it's all about saving souls and getting them into the kingdom. That's what he wants. But in order to do that, we have to line up with the word of God because that's what's going to judge us. That's going to be the thing that shows whether or not we had faith. Did we believe what he had to say? So we have to be willing to speak what he spoke and we have to be willing to live like he lived. There's a scripture that says that if we follow him, then we ought to do what he did. Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end when he was leaving, he said, go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I taught you. And if you do this, I will be with you even unto the ends of the world. The reason that some walk in the power of the kingdom is because the kingdom lives inside of them. Jesus is with them even unto the ends of the world. Why is he with them? Because he, they're doing what he said. They're teaching everything that he taught. In other words, we open the Bible to the New Testament. We read the red-lettered words of Jesus. We believe it and we repeat it. That's all you have to do, and the power of the kingdom will be with you as you do it. You add something to it, he's pulling away. You leave something out of it, he's pulling away. That's what happened to the seven churches in the book of Revelations. They had some things right, some things wrong. It says Jesus was outside of the church knocking to get in. He won't share his glory with another. It has to be what he taught, what he preached, and then he will endorse it. That's the vision that you've got to grab hold of. Jesus actually said that signs, wonders, and miracles would follow those that believed him. He actually said that the things that I do, you will be able to do and greater, greater, because I go to the Father and he's going to be able to help us do it. He's going to do it through us. Those are the visions that we have to grab hold of. Lord, I know you can teach me. I know you can Show me. I know you can make it happen. I believe it. I still see it. It will come to fruition and keep pursuing. Jesus told us that we would know the tree by the fruit. The Holy Spirit is the root. If the Holy Spirit is the root, then what it's feeding to the tree will be producing holy fruit. If we are rooted in the word of God, then we're going to produce the characters, teachings, and works that are written in Scripture. If we're rooted into something else, 
will produce something else. If you're rooted into bad music, if you're rooted into things on TV, if you're rooted into weird teachings on YouTube, if you're rooted into too much news or video games or entertainment or witchcraft or any other thing, it's going to produce bad fruit. And what is fruit? But the reproduction of the tree. So you will reproduce those bad things. And that's a dangerous place to be because the Bible said we will give account, not only for our own sins, but for the things that we influence others to believe and to walk in. It's a serious, serious thing. So we need to get rooted into Jesus. We've got to spend that time in the prayer closet. We've got to hear from him and we've got to believe and we've got to see the promises that are given. So again, ask yourself, what do you meditate on? What do you envision? What is playing in your imagination? In those quiet times when your mind starts running, like when you take a shower or when you're in the bathroom or when you're cutting grass, you know, those mind-numbing things that when you're washing dishes and your mind just starts going, what's playing? That's a good test about what you're feeding. Are you talking to God in those times or are you praying in those times? Are you preaching to somebody in those times? Are you getting messages and lessons from God in those times? Or are you having an argument with your neighbor in those times? Or are you reliving that bad breakup in those times? Like, what is playing in your mind? What are you imagining? Even things that may not seem detrimental, but they may be distracting. Are you concerned about how you're going to beat the next level of a video game, you know, in those times? Or are you so busy in a hobby that you really have no time to really imagine for greater things. Because sometimes God will call you to works and to hobbies, and there are things that are selfless. There are things he'll call you to do. But then there are things that the enemy sends too that are just meant to consume you. So you have to kind of check those balances also. Prayer, TV, internet, entertainment, selfish hobbies, um, because there are good, good hobbies too, I think. Worries. When you're in those quiet times, are you overwhelmed with worries? Do you play through your mind scenarios of things that will never happen because they are just stressing you out and worrying you? <laughs> Woes, your own abilities, offenses. That's a good check. Are you having an argument with someone that will never hear it? <sighs> check it, check it. The faults of others. Are you meditating on the faults of others? in your prayer closet or in these times. Pride, arrogance, mean-spirited wounds. Something that was said to you 15 years ago. Hurts, failures, reliving and replaying things that didn't turn out right in a way that is condescending, condemning, and unbeneficial because you can't change it. You just got to start with today and move forward. Guard what is replaying in your heart? Or do you seek the Lord and his word, his plan, his vision? Do you write it down and do you run with it? There's a scripture that says, write the vision, make it plain so that even others can run, read it and run with it. I think this is very important for your journals and in your prayer time when you seek the Lord and he gives you something, he gives you a promise, he gives you a vision, write those things down. Because the devil's going to come to attack it and to try to rip that seed up that the Lord just planted. And you're going to need to go back and reread it. And every time he strengthens it or reinforces it or waters it, write those things down. Because it will help you to hold on to it. 
And when you think all hope is lost, he will cause you to open up one of those old journals and you'll see it again and the vision will come alive. It will come back before your eyes and you'll be like, oh yes, he said this. I'm going to praise you for it until I see it. I'm going to thank you for it. I still believe it. How many times you think Abraham had to do this? From the time that God gave him the promise, it was 25 years before that child was born. God promised them they would have a child. They were barren that this child would be the progenitor of many, many generations, many offspring, and that the whole world would be blessed through his lineage. Then they go through 25 years with no children, that they still have to hold on to this promise. How many times did he have to sit and remember, nope, God said it, I still believe it, I still see it. It says he never wavered. He believed it all the way through. It was going to happen. So meditate on Jesus. Think on the fruits of his spirit. Ask for it. Get a promise and stand on it. He loves us. He's there for us. These are the things that we meditate on, not with the enemy speaking, not all this crazy. You know, there are times when we sit to pray for people and all we end up doing is accusing them before the courts of heaven, just like Lucifer. We become the accuser of the brethren. That's not the things we need to be meditating on in the prayer closet. Yes, Lord, save them. Come with brokenness. Yes, Lord, help them. Lord, help me to love them. Help me to demonstrate the truth to them. They've never seen it or truly experienced it. Help me to endure. Pray for us, pray for them, but meditate on the Lord, on his characteristics, on his, the fruits of the spirit or Jesus's characteristics. We're supposed to produce it, but it's easier to produce it when you see it in him. He is love. Okay. I have to be like Jesus. He is kindness. I have to be like Jesus. He is gentle. I have to be like Jesus. Help me be like Jesus. He's patient. Help me be like Jesus. He's joyful. Help me be like Jesus. You know, he's, he's temperate. In other words, he doesn't lose his temper easily. Help me be like Jesus. Remember his character because that makes him more approachable in the prayer closet too. And then help Lord me to produce that good fruit. Remember that he loves us, that he's there for us, that he hears us, that he is willing to help us, that he wants to save us that he has provided a way of eternal life for us. He does all these things. He wants to fellowship with us. He is coming back for us. He is bringing new Jerusalem and all of the greats of scripture are coming with him and all of his great promises. His grace is sufficient to accomplish it. Keep seeking him daily for it. Keep surrendering to his leading. Keep thinking on the things of his kingdom. Think on these things. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, For the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Remember, he promised New Jerusalem. He promised eternal kingdoms. He promised all these great things. He's not slack concerning these promises as some men might count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he said he's coming back again. He said he's bringing rewards. He said he's bringing new Jerusalem. He said there's a place for the remnant, the faithful, to rule and reign with him and to be blessed. 
He's not slack concerning these promises. He will bring them about. But the reason it hasn't happened yet is because he's patient. He's long-suffering. He's willing to suffer the heartache of tarrying. He wants to do all of this. This will be a joyous time for him too. But he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to miss it. He's giving us more space for repentance so we can come into submission with the teachings of Jesus so that we can enter into it. That's why he's tarried, because he wants you to make it. But that all should come to repentance. However, eventually that day will come. Eventually the door of the ark is shut. Eventually we run out of time. For the day of the Lord will come, and it will come as a thief in the night when you least expect it, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the very elements of the heavens shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. In other words, when he comes, everything's going to be destroyed. The very heavens, the, even the solar system, the elements are going to melt. So don't live for this moment or the things that we're trying to make happen. Make sure you're in right standing because the Bible says that if you are, you'll be protected and you'll walk through the fires and not be hurt by it. You'll keep praising just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. But if you're not in right standing, you're going to be burned up. That's why it says in the end, everything will be tested by fire. Seeing then that all these things will be completely dissolved, then what manner of person ought you to be? in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, notwithstanding, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Only the righteous will get in. The righteous are those who do what he says is right what's written in the scriptures. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him have written unto you. This was Peter speaking and at the end of it he says, Paul has told you the same thing. So believe it. There are promises coming. There's new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. There's all of these wonderful things, but only the righteous get into it. It's going to be a great place to live. You better believe and keep seeing, keep the vision, keep living for it. Keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling. Think on the good that is to come, even when all rises up against you, trying to get you into offense so that you lose your right standing. Things will get harder and harder. The enemy will fight against you. The enemy will try to stir you up. He will try to get you in offense, get you angry. He will try to get you out of right standing so you miss Jesus at his coming. See, envision, believe for the destination. Remember New Jerusalem. Remember the resurrection. Remember the big promises, but also the little ones. The ones that he makes to you individually the ones he makes in the prayer closet. Keep a hold of those too, because the promises he makes to you may take a long time to come through, but it can affect things generationally. There are promises that God made to my grandfather that are still playing out in our lives, that are still affecting each and every one of us. The promises God makes to you 
can affect your children and your children's children and who knows how many people through them. We have media ministries on the internet. We have videos. We have podcasts. We are on the radio in other states. We affect people that we don't even know. We don't see their faces, but God does. And all of that, all over the world, we have people in other countries. We have pastors in Africa that print out our writings from the manas and use them as their curriculum to teach because they've, they've written to us and asked permission to do it. So we don't know how far-reaching that's happening. And that's all because of promises that were made to my grandfather years ago. So what? think about the promises that God makes to you if you're faithful to see them through. How that can affect through your children and through the generations out into the nations in ways you can't even imagine. It has not even entered into our hearts to understand or comprehend. I always think about Job and all he went through. And he didn't understand that earth ages later, we would still be talking about his story. You know? And he was probably like, why do I have to go through this? I don't understand. Just like we all do in the prayer closet. God, why? I don't understand. There was no way for him to comprehend that thousands of years later, we would still be talking about him. You don't know how what you are going through will affect others. So just endure and trust that God will use it for the good if you keep the vision and move forward and let him bring it to fruition. Jesus warned of of a servant that stopped believing that his master was coming. Calls him a wicked servant. He was told that his master was coming and that he needed to stay vigilant. He stopped believing and thought it would be a long time off and it caused him to become complacent, then to become lazy, then to become wicked, then to become selfish. And in the end, his master showed up when he wasn't ready and he was mistreating others and misrepresenting his master and he got judged for it. This is the importance of keeping the vision. You don't only not want to miss it, you don't want to have the Lord show up. And In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees when he came the last time, you missed your time of visitation. Ooh, I don't know, that scares me. Because there's things that the Lord has told me that will happen, and I just hate to find myself in a moment where he said, you know that thing that I told you was coming? Should have happened right here, but you missed your moment of visitation. You got lazy, you got complacent, you stopped praying, you stopped fasting, you stopped seeking, you stopped believing. There was actually a point at which the prophet told Saul whenever Saul was supposed to wait for the prophet to come and to do a sacrifice and he got impatient and just did it himself and started doing things his own way. When the prophet got there, he said, this is the moment that you would have inherited the kingdom, but because you didn't listen, you stopped believing and you did things your own way, you'll lose it. Even though it had been prophesied before, the prophet told him, this is the moment basically that you missed your visitation. That is something that I take very seriously. That's why God says, be be constant, be instant in season, be continuing in prayer, keep the vision. Don't run off and try to do things your own way. It'll only cause problems. Psalms 27, 13 says, I would have fainted unless I had continued to believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, therefore, on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. That's Psalms 27, 13 
I give it to you again because it's a good one to remember. So in the waiting, keep praising. Praising is a declaration of faith for the promise. It might not be here yet, but we still believe for it. So Lord, I'm going to praise you now as though I've already got it. Keep seeing the destination and believing to receive the rewards and promises of it. Keep your faith in his faithfulness. Keep picturing it. It is coming. If you don't quit, you will grab hold of it. Just don't start chasing vain imaginations in the process. The lies of the enemy, other visions, distractions. Seek the Lord and seek him continually. Keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling. Keep marching towards the promise. And no matter what it looks like, sounds like, or feels like externally, keep thanking him and seeing it internally, and it will come in its proper season. Philippians 4, verse 5. This is a good one. It says, Let your moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. The King James says careful, be careful for nothing. The original word there is better translated to anxious. In other words, don't be worried. Don't be worked up about it. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, this is what you meditate on. This is what you put in your heart. Whatever things are true, the Bible is our basis for truth. So if it's in the Bible, you can meditate on those truths. Whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, then think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, which was Paul, so that's most of the New Testament, then do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye are also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And this is key and very important. Learn to be content wherever the Lord has you, whatever the season, whatever the state, whether it's in poverty or in plenty, there are things to learn. There are things to, to, to gain from those places that he has you in. If he has you in a season of going or in a season of waiting, in a season of growing and of learning or in a season of outpouring, wherever he has you, be content where you are, but keep the vision for more. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We all love that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we only use it on the good side. I can run a marathon. I can build a building. I can, I can weight lift. I can... Whatever, you know, all these great, mighty, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. When my husband tells me I can't do something, I'm like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
It's very. <laughs> no, you well, he open. No, then I'm like, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You open the pickle jar. That's what husbands. That's what husbands are for. So she's doing it by proxy. Yes. We're one flesh. Right. But it's really out of context. The point of the message is that we can do all things, both good. We can survive in the good and the bad. In other words, when we have a lot or when we have nothing, the Lord will still sustain. Be content wherever he has you. If he says wait, if he says go, if he says do, if he says no, if he says, you know what, if somebody persecutes you and you have to stand there and turn the other cheek, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the kind of strength that we're talking about. If I have to fast and can't eat, or if there's no finances, but he says, you know what, I want you to go and do this mission. You know what, I trust you, Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever they imagine, it said, they could do. It shows you the power of belief, of faith, and of vision of seeing it and believing it until it comes to fruition. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I love this one. Now, does it say he's going to give everybody the desires of their heart? No. It says those that delight themselves in the Lord, those who love his presence, those who spend time with him, those who get in the prayer closet, those who worship, those who hear from him, because if you love him, you will keep his commandments. And he knows he can trust you with these great gifts that he wants to give everyone, but he can't trust everyone with it. I've given the example before. God loves everyone, but he can't trust everyone the same. So he can't give everyone the same. We had two dogs when we were kids, and one of them had to stay in an electric fence, and one got to run free. And when we would go outside as kids, the one that could run free would come running up to us, and I'd feel so bad for the one in the electric fence, because he'd come right up to the fence, and he wanted to come out and play so bad, and sometimes he'd get shocked and all. And I remember thinking, he probably thinks we love this little dog more than him, but the truth is, he thinks he can catch 18 willows. So he's got to stay locked up for his own good. We can't trust him with that freedom or he will hurt himself or somebody else. So the one that we could trust with the freedom got the freedom. We loved them both the same and we desired for him to be out and be free and be with us, but we couldn't trust him with it. It was dangerous. And it's the same thing with God. He wants everyone to have all these great and abundant blessings and gifts, but can he trust you with it? Will you hurt yourself or somebody else? So sometimes he has to refrain and restrain. Habakkuk 2.2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tablets, that he may run that readeth it. So again, it's important to remember that there is a difference between God's vision and vain imaginations. Seek the Lord, read the word, hear from him, get the vision that he puts in your spirit, believe it, run with it until you see it accomplished. Because if it's something you imagine up yourself, it can happen, but it won't bear good fruit. And it will usually fall apart on you at some point. We saw this in the example at the beginning of the Tower of Babel. They imagined it, and they even finished it, 
but it ended up falling down on them. It didn't work out for them. There's always two options. From the beginning, there were two trees in the garden. In the end, you'll have to choose between Christ and the Antichrist. Throughout scriptures, there's always two options. God's vision, God's plan, or your own vain imaginations. God's plan versus Satan's temptation. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. God had a plan. God had promised Jesus that he would be the king of the world. All the tribes, tongues, and nations would bow down before him. The devil comes with a temptation and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. It's in my power to do so. You just got to bow down and worship me. Now, the thing that made it tempting, right? Because you're like, that's not tempting to Jesus. No, it's a temptation. Why was it a temptation? Jesus knew that to get it God's way, he was going to have to go through Gethsemane. To get it the devil's way, all he's got to do is bend the knee. It's easy. The devil will promise you, and he will even make it seem like it's the promises of God, but it's going to be easy, and it's tempting. God says, I'll get you there. It might not be easy. There might be some heartbreak. There might be some Gethsemane but I'll get you there. Keep trusting me. Vision versus vain imagination. That's what Jesus was facing because the devil's plan would not have worked out. God's always does. God's plan is impossible, but he will do it. The devil's plan is easy, but it won't go through right. Jesus had to choose his will, God's will over his own will. So those will always be the two choices, thy will or my will. My will will lead to destruction. Thy will will lead to the destination that we want. In Abraham's life, it was Ishmael or Isaac. There was a promise. They took matters into their own hands, tried to make it happen. You got Ishmael out of it. The world is still in conflict today because of it. Repented, went back to trust in God. God did it. You got Isaac. Through that bloodline, we get the Messiah. We get Jesus. We're all saved because of it. That's the difference between trusting a vain imagination against the plans and visions of God. It's the spirit versus the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. This is the thing. The vision that God wants to give you, you can't even imagine it. It's beyond your ability. It's that grand and impossible. In fact, until it's impossible, it's not God's plan. It's still yours. Keep praying, keep seeking. And when he gives you the one that can't happen, except that he step in and do something miraculous, that's God's plan. Grab hold of that vision. See it. Believe it. Here's the key part here. It says that the things that God has in store for us, it has not entered into our hearts and we can't imagine it. However, it says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. He will show you. He will show you. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth are the things of a man. All you can know are the things that men know. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So the things of God, we can't know it, but the Spirit of God does, and we can know Him, and He will show us. Jesus says that He will take what's mine and give it to you. He will show you things to come. This is the importance. 
of being in a personal relationship with God, spending that time in the word and in the prayer closet. Let him show you the things that he has. It will be impossible. You will think it's not going to happen. It's crazy. But you know what? I can't deny, Lord, that you are confirming and reaffirming. And I'm not taking every little whim that, that comes and running with it. Search the Lord. If you feel the Lord is showing you something, okay, Lord, send me confirmations. Wait a while. Pray it through. God will be consistent and persistent. He will tell you the same thing over and over and over again in a million different ways. He'll show it to you in Scripture. He'll speak it to you in the prayer closet. You'll turn on the radio and you'll hear that worship song and it's just confirming it perfectly. You'll get to church and the preacher's preaching about it. The worship leader sings a song and it confirms it all again. You're riding to church to preach about remembering the promises of God and there's a big rainbow over the church pointing down at the church like tonight. <laughs> Keep the vision. Remember his promises. He will confirm it in impossible, undeniable ways continually and you'll know that it's from him. When that happens, grab hold of that vision and keep it and guard it with all due diligence. This is the importance of fasting anything that pulls your attention away until you get it into submission. Whatever steers your imagination steers you and determines your destination. So anything that causes you to be consumed, that grabs hold of your imagination, you need to fast it until you get it into subjection. If you can't stop thinking about it, it's become an idol. You need to deal with it. And we're going to close with Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, which is put to death, therefore your members, your, your body, your physical flesh, which are upon the earth. Fornication, which is any sexual relation outside of the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Uncleanness, which is any sin contrary to Scripture. Inordinate affections. That word inordinate affections, you can think of it as an affection, an affection that is out of order. It's too much affection. It's not normal. It's not right. Okay? Like you can have brands. But if you are just obsessed with one particular brand and it's become almost obsessive, that's an inordinate affection. It's an affection that's out of order. It's not right. Um, some people, I've seen even a person that was like this with one of their grandchildren. Like it, it was just unnatural, the, the, the tie that they had to this one grandchild. None of the other grandchildren pretty much existed to them at all, but they were almost smothering. That is an inordinate affection. It's an affection that's not natural it's out of order. There's too much on this one thing. So if there's a hobby or a game or even a TV series or something that pulls you and you're like, why am I so drawn to this? This affection is out of order. First of all, our affections must be on God. He's first. He has to be first in our life. So if anything gets above that, it's out of order. It's an inordinate affection. If the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and, and he's calling you to stop and pray and you have a thought not to do it because you want to do something else, then you have an inordinate affection towards that other thing. If God calls you to fast and you're like, ooh, I don't really want to because I want to eat this or that, well, that's an inordinate affection towards food. So that's just any affection that's out of order. Addiction is a perfect word. You got it. 
You got, that's right. But you're right, it's the spirit of addiction is what it comes down to. But yeah, you're right. In order that affection can be broken down to addiction, it's, it's something that draws you. Anything that draws or pulls at you, it's a sin, it's evil. Well, and you can think about like, for example, the pull that drugs have on people and how mothers, mothers will um, not tend to their children or even leave their children for the pull of the drug. That It's an unnatural pull. Video games. People, there are people who will use the bathroom on themselves because they won't stop playing a game. That's unnatural. And covetousness, which is wanting what others have. All of these things are idolatry, which is worshiping the devil, basically. It's putting other spirits and other things, the influence above God and what he tells us. It says, for which things, the things we just mentioned, for these things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So all that stuff we read earlier about the fire that's so hot that it will melt the elements of even the solar system and the earth, and that's the wrath of God. These things are the reason that it's coming. So don't be found guilty of them when it happens. Keep the vision. Remember it's going to happen. There's good things on the other side of it if you're found in right standing. So write it down. Find the scriptures. Believe it. See it. Live for it. Get those big promises in the scripture. Get those personal promises. Keep seeing it. Pray. Spend that time with him every day to reignite your faith in those things and keep believing. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.